Hi, it's Robin McMahon here. I'm the host of Parenting Our Future. And if you're listening to this podcast, I want to thank you so much for being here. I also want you to know that I'm a former angry mom. I used to yell and rage and threaten and punish my kids because I wasn't getting the cooperation or the behavior that I felt I should be getting. And I struggled for many years, not knowing how to change or knowing what to do differently. It wasn't until I found the world of peaceful parenting that I learned why my kids acted the way they did and also why I was so angry and triggered. I was able to heal my anger and leave my triggers behind so that I could focus on being the calm and confident parent I always expected myself to be. I can tell you that feeling connected to your kids is the best feeling in the world. My two boys are teenagers now, and we have a strong relationship that is rooted in deep connection. And where there is connection, there's cooperation. Parenting is the most important job we do, but it's the hardest job we do. And we do it without understanding the fundamentals of the way our kids grow and develop. We do it without knowing the way their brains work or what their behavior is actually really telling us. So it's no wonder it's so hard. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, this is harder than I thought it would be. And that's where I come in. I can help you and I can support you so that you can have the cooperation and enjoy being a parent. You can book a free call with me on my website, parentingforconnection.com. And if you want to download my free guide, how to turn a no into cooperation, go to triggerfreeparents.com. I really hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. It's Robin here. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Our Future. And, you know, we're talking about something today that is um, sudden loss, sudden traumatic loss. And I have somebody who not only do I highly respect, um, I think she is just a wonderful human being. I have Barbara Rubel here today, and she's a thanatologist, and she's an expert in death, dying, and bereavement, and specifically sudden traumatic loss. She's also the author of a book called But I Didn't Say Goodbye, which is all about suicide. And so Barbara and I know each other from the Newsweek Expert Forum. That's how we first met, and we've actually spoken many times Barbara does a lot of keynote speaking and talks about uh, compassion fatigue and burnout and different things like that. And she also talks on these subjects. And so um, in the last little while, there has been a shooting in Boston and most recently at Robb Elementary in Texas. And so first of all, welcome, Barbara. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for caring about these communities who are not only grieving, but they are traumatized. So thank you for what you do. Oh, that's so sweet of you. See, don't you love her already? <laughs> so, you know, can we talk about parents and what, gosh, what this does to parents? And, and I want to, I want to sort of preface it by saying, I remember my kids were probably six and four, seven and four when Sandy Hook happened. And I remember what that did to me. And so here we are again, and uh, with these little littles, right? In terms of the age of the kids. So can we talk about like, what does this do to parents? Well, it, we have assumptions about our world, basic assumptions. It's mm. called an assumptive world. Mm. And we assume our 
car keys. We're going, it's going to be where we left them in the morning that our car will start. We have basic assumptions that we will have our coffee before we get to the office. Basic, simple assumptions. We never assume that our child is going to be gunned down at school. We cannot make those assumptions because then we could never leave the house. Mm-hmm. So how do we as parents leave the house when we are living with a shattered world and our world has been shattered, mm-hmm. not only in our own home where we feel safe, but in our community, in our city, in our state, in our country. And what we are going through is very similar to what you're going through and you're going through. We are not alone in this. Mm-hmm. It is frightening. It is frustrating. Our sense of safety is gone. You know, we need to trust those around us, basic needs. We need to feel safe. We no longer feel safe. But yet as parents, we have to send our kids to school Mm -hmm. and we have to hope that those in authorities are doing a good job keeping our kids safe. Mm -hmm. How do we go to work with that fear? How do we stay at home with our little ones, knowing that we're sending the older ones to school with that anxiety, with that worry? It's what what happened during COVID-19 is many of us felt fear and worry, but there's also this phrase called uncertainty distress. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the research showed that what we were experiencing was uncertainty distress. We were uncertain whether we were going to get the virus, whether our loved ones were going to get sick, whether our grandparents were going to die, or if we would ever see them again. So what did we do? We ran to the supermarket and bought toilet paper. (laughs) That's what we did. It's true. But that's what we did because we are human. And this panic in us made us have to do something. Yeah. And that's what's happening now. We need to pause and think while we're watching this on television or listening to it in the car and the radio, what is this doing to us as parents? And how is what's happening to us impacting the way we're raising our children Mm -hmm. and the way we feel towards our kids? We are holding them tight. Mm -hmm. We, when, when they came home from school, If you were fortunate and blessed enough to have a child come home from school that day, you're holding them tight. We are all grieving the loss from that mom and dad and siblings and grandparents and neighbors and teachers. We are grieving as a community for what is lost, the innocence, the belief that that child would come home. There are what is called a determinants of grief. These things impact grief, they impact loss. The untimeliness of this event happening right before the end of school year. If only you hear, if only it was a month later, they wouldn't have been in school. If only it was summertime. If only we took that spring vacation. If only that child said he was sick that day, I kept him home the untimeliness of all that. Also, what's going to impact a loved one's grief is the fact that the child was so young, mm-hmm. age of the person who's, who died, and also the age of the mourner. So now an adult, whether a grandparent, a neighbor, a, a guardian, a parent, 
foster parent now has to speak to the other children and explain what happened. How do you yeah. explain what happened to a child when you can't explain it yourself? So my advice would be to first take a very deep breath, breathe into your resources, your God, breathe into your faith, breathe into your belief system, breathe into the strongest part of who you are, move to your strengths and put them into practice when you are talking with a child who is so confused and scared. Now, why are they scared? Maybe just maybe you have the TV on all day and they're listening to this over and over again. So maybe it wasn't just one class because they heard on the news that gunshots and at school, and then again and again, it could be 10 or 20 school rooms. I remember back mm -hmm. September 11th, where all the children felt like, wow, so many planes went into the building. No, there were two in that mm -hmm. building in New York. And then of course, in the Pentagon and others. But we have to recognize the, the impact of the media on us mm -hmm. and the kids. So instead, shut the TV off, Mm -hmm. and focus in on what brings you comfort. Make a really good meal for the family and create a ritual around spaghetti and meatballs, you know, and, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, pasta or steak or, or chicken, or of course, macaroni and cheese and chicken nuggets, you know, create how, how wonderful it is that we could eat together as a family. We are a family and then move into what does it mean to be a family? and talk about how you're there for them, how much you love them, and you'll try your best to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And that the world is a scary place. And sometimes mommy gets scared, sometimes daddy gets scared, and it's okay to be scared, but it's always okay to go to an adult that you love, support mm -hmm. you trust, and talk about your fears, talk about what you're worried about. So they know they're not alone in this. And don't hide your fear and your worry. Show them that it's okay to express that. Because mm -hmm. if you don't open yourself up to allowing them to show you how their feet they feel or, or think, then they're not going to talk to you and they're going to be traumatized by this. This is this is a traumatizing thing. Mm -hmm. You know, children today. They're, they're already traumatized by so much in life. You know, a lot of kids have high, what's called ACEs scores, and yeah. they're already traumatized. They're already bereaved. They, they may have lost a grandma or their, their pet died. You know, it, they, they've already experienced loss. They might've experienced a trauma. A loved one might be in jail. A, a parent might've died by suicide. You don't, so this is just one more thing. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? We mm -hmm. have to recognize that we're grieving just as much as the family who experienced the loss. Mm -hmm. Why is it if I don't live in Texas and I don't have a, an eight-year-old kid mm -hmm. and I don't know one person, tell me why yesterday I was hysterical crying watching mm -hmm. television. I don't know those people. Why should I care? Mm. Because we are empathetic. We are compassionate. We are caring and loving people. And we recognize the innocence of these lives. 
that are destroyed, Mm -hmm. destroyed. And we feel for them. But in feeling for them, we are empathetic and compassionate, but it comes back to self-compassion. We need to be kind to ourselves when we're grieving for others Mm. and love ourselves and utilize our greatest strengths. Like, for instance, my greatest strength is love of learning. So I'm constantly reading the research on loss, grief, bereavement, compassion, fatigue, and vicarious trauma and work-life integration and all that. And my second greatest strength is wisdom. So I read the research and then I teach the professionals what to do with it. Yeah. So I know my strengths. Mm -hmm. If we pause here and think right now as a parent who's watching, what is my greatest strength? How can I take that strength and put it into practice so my, I could love these kids and instill love instead of fear? Mm-hmm. So what would you say that your, your Robin, your greatest strength is? Um, I would say listening and uh, empathy. Wow. So what a parent can learn from you right now is to stop, pause, and listen to what the kids are saying. Mm-hmm. We're so fearful of, oh my goodness, what if they say something I don't know how to handle? You'll yeah. know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll know what to say. Speak age appropriately. Speak um, at a developmental level that they understand. Mm-hmm. Don't give too much information because they can't handle all that. And just allow the conversation to move organically and talk about death, dying, and bereavement. And what is culturally appropriate in your belief system? So Mm -hmm. you can say, you know, there are mommies for these young kids. There are mommies and daddies now who, whose child died. And then explain what that means in our religion, in our, in our culture, we believe and Mm. whatever it is, Mm. you know, you might be a Jewish person who believes this, you might be a Christian, a high faith, a Sikh, Uh, you know, what, what, what is it that you believe and share your beliefs with them. Now, what's important about that is now you're educating them about a future loss. So when their pet dies, They'll know, mm-hmm. oh, mommy, remember you said that, uh, you know, that, that, that child was in heaven. Is our dog in heaven? Do we believe that? You know, so teach them mm-hmm. before you need to teach them. I love that. And, and it really, it, it really helps. It, re- it reminds me, I worked in hospice, hospice of New Jersey. And I remember a child saying um, that they were going to go visit Uh, grandma at the wake and someone saying, um, you'll just see the body at the wake. You're just going to see the body at the wake. And then the child got to the funeral home and screamed out, oh my God, grandma, grandma has a head because mommy said it was only going to be a body. Oh, yikes. Yes. So you have to be so you have to be very careful with your terminology and your words. For instance, the child, all those kids died and they're all in heaven now. You can't say, well, you know, they can watch you from heaven. They see you from heaven. They know now are all those kids watching me do bad things. Are all those kids watching me now when I say bad words? So you have to be very careful with how you approach 
heaven and loss and and just be very mindful of that oh kids are going through a hard time but I think the parents once you understand language Mm -hmm. and once you understand to breathe and slow down and be respectful of the child because they're going to ask you things that you know we have no idea you know it's 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 crazy it's crazy situation so just try to be comfortable with grief and a grief is the emotional, cognitive, behavioral, physical, and spiritual reactions to this loss. Mm. So what you're feeling, all those symptoms and reactions in your body, that's grief. Mm. You're bereaved because you lost something. You lost innocence knowing that these children were killed. You know, you the person who, who had a child died, they are bereaved because that person robbed their child from them. That's why they're screaming on the streets. They, they couldn't go in. They wanted to go in to save their child, but their child was already dead. I, I do a lot of trainings for police officers. Mm. Both of my parents were police officers. And I just came back from Fargo where I opened up the conference for the, uh, the, the summit for female police officers in Fargo, North Dakota. Now, police want parents, of course, to... to be there and be present, but it is a police scene. It yeah. is a crime scene. And you cannot have parents going in with, it's horrible to say, blood splatter and dead children. You can't have all these adults entering into that. It would be absolute havoc. Now, I have spoken to, I hate to say this, but hundreds of parents in the Mm. past 30 years who were so angry with the police who would not allow them to go into the room where their dead child was because they shot themselves. Oh gosh. But did they shoot themselves? Well, they left my house. Let me in. That's my child. But is it a police? It's a, it's a crime scene. Was it a homicide? Was it a suicide? So the police are doing their job to protect the scene. So whoever murdered those children, We'll make sure that it's a crime scene that is not dirtied in any way. Well, that's and also what they have to do. you can't unsee that. And I think that's the hardest thing. You, that is not the way you want to see your child. And especially in a shooting like this, where no. the ammunition is meant for war. Uh, and this is, you know, these are young children. It is, yeah. it is just not something you want to see. So you know, you have such a beautiful way of, of explaining all of this. And, and so I just want to, I just, I like to sort of recap what I heard you say. And, and that is that, you know, that first of all, we start out with assuming that like this won't happen and then it does happen. And we feel that shattered. I think we feel shattered. The world feels shattered. You know, the world is like you said, shattered right now. And, and that our sense of safety feels gone. And I remember feeling that 10 years ago, you know, um, and I was shocked to hear my son, my youngest son say that when he goes into a classroom and he struggles going to school actually, which has been a whole thing that we've been working with him on. uh, And he says, he, he always looks for the exits. And we're in a country where we don't have very many guns and it's extremely difficult to get a gun. And I just think, wow, like that is, that's, that's pretty deep, you know, that kind of, you know, just that awareness 
it's, it's surprising to me. So there's that there is, and then the, the uncertainty distress that you said uh, makes so much sense. Right. And the grief that you're going through is the, the loss of the innocence, uh, you know, the loss of the age of the children, the, the, the loss of the safety, the unfairness of it, right. The cruelty of it, the, the injustice. And then, and then you did say explaining to your, to your child. And that's sort of where I want to just, I, I wanted to say a couple of things too, because when you're not explaining what's going on with your kids, just like what you said, uh, and, and I didn't know this until you, you just said it, but that our kids start to make up their own ideas of what happened. Like you said, they said 10 airplanes went through the building. No, no, it was two. You just kept seeing the same reel over and over and over and over again. And kids make up the, what that means to them, unless somebody sits them down and tells them. And I just love what you said about the actual talking about death. And that is, this is what death means to us. This is what we believe, right? And, and to be careful of your language too, because you're right. Oh, they can watch over us from heaven. Whoa. They watching me do this. They watching me go you know, go poo. Are they, you know what I mean? Like, that's what kids are going to say. They're going to ask that. And so, yes, really be careful. And so maybe you, you, what I always suggest too, is you gather yourself first. How am I going to say this? What am I going to say? You know, am I being clear, you know, and, and being open to revisit the topic? Oh, you know what? Should have said it this way instead. And, and then also one more thing is to name your feelings. Like I am sad. I'm really sad makes me feel sad. But I also think we need to say to our kids and, you know, we have so many protectors. Look at all these protectors that help us, you know? So, okay. I just wanted to sort of say that and just honor You're that. You're a fabulous listener. Damn, that was good. I was like, yeah, I said that. I did say that. Yeah. 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 I yeah. take notes as you talk too. So I appreciate that. And, and, but those who are listening, um, they're not taking notes. They're just sitting back saying, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. You know, thank you for sharing some insight for this quick conversation, but I'm really scared for my kid. How do I, how do I survive this? How do I send my kid to school? How do I let them get on a school bus? Yeah. And it's like so many, it's so many parents of the years that I've spoken to whose children got murdered on the way to school. And they said they have two more kids or another child. And every single time for years, they, they send their kid to the school bus. They're worrying about their child. Mm -hmm. I don't think we need a homicide like this, or like what I just shared to, to be, live in fear. We are living in fear. That's our society. We just have to learn ways to, to live with fear. Mm -hmm. So not to self-medicate, not to do alcohol and drugs and, you know, work too much or talk too much, but mm -hmm. figure out what is going to ease the pain because you're in pain. So is it your faith? Is it a good meal? Is it um, watching a comedy? You don't have to feel guilty about mm -hmm. watching a comedy and, and laughing. You know, it's okay to find joy in life. Yeah. And so many therapists tell me that the, one of the biggest problems with their grieving clients is they feel guilty about going to a wedding. They feel guilty about going shopping. They feel guilty about, you know, changing the color of their bedroom after their loved one died because that was their favorite color, but they're dead. <laughs> so it, it comes down to 
just recognizing that this is really hard. Mm. Change is going to be hard. Reach out to a good friend who's going to Mm. listen to you talk about this over and over and over again. And try to have a positive attitude. And what is going to help you maintain a positive attitude? Is it, you know, going to your house of worship? Is it going to the gym? Is it doing yoga? Is, you know, what kind of self-care plan do you have? And then create a self-care plan for your kids. Mm. You know, maybe they don't need to go to all of their activities this week. You know, karate and Mm. ballet, ballet school. Maybe keep them away for a week. Now, a lot of people disagree with me with that. They'll say, keep them busy, keep them going, that it's okay, that they should continue doing it. And I feel like if you're anxiety ridden and they're anxiety ridden, why not keep them home with you and create a ritual, a good meal, put a great movie on and show them that, you know, we're grieving right now. We're like basically having our own little wake for that family, we're creating a ritual. I'm not not sending you to ballet because I'm scared you're going to be murdered. No, I'm here with you as a loving parent. And we are sad for the mommy and daddy who are grieving and sad for that little child. So we're going to stay home together and think of them and and enjoy life in their memory. Mm, Beautiful. A lot of people disagree with me. Well, I, I, I think as long as it's not rooted in fear, yes, that's, that's okay. It's, it's, yeah. it's a morning ritual that yeah. you're creating, yeah. recognizing that we are impacted. Like I said, yeah. why was I crying watching that? Cause I'm impacted. Yeah. So if I was a little child watching that, then I would want my mommy to say, you know what, let's stay home tomorrow. Mommy's going to stay home from work and we're going to have mm-hmm. our own wake. And we'll make cookies yeah. and we'll think of them. Maybe we'll even write a poem or draw a picture in their memory. And that'll Beautiful. make us feel better. And then we'll go to school and I'll go to work and ask permission. Is that okay? And they may say, no, no, I want to go to school. And okay, that's okay too. But, oh, you know, throw it I out there. That. I love that. I love that. Putting a piece of creativity in there, I think is so great because kids do make sense of their world through play, through drawing, through um, expression. And so I, I really love that. I think that's really beautiful. And I also really heard you say, notice what's also true. In other words, you know, you, you said, look, you know, there are other things that are, are true. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to enjoy things. And I think I think I feel, I'm going to just talk about myself for a second. Like, I do feel like, wow, I feel like it's, it's so unfair for those people that, that I, I don't want to enjoy anything. Right. So I think that's a very normal thing. And I think you just really hit on something for me and for lots of people listening is that we can't deny what is also true that I do have my two boys here. They are okay. And I do, you know, have a comfortable couch to sit in and snuggle them and make some cookies, you know, those things, right. Those are also true for me. And I am at the same time also sad for those families and grieving that loss for them too, for myself. Yeah. 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 So how do we make meaning out of this? How do you that make is... meaning? How do you, how do you make meaning? How do I make meaning out of being in a hospital awaiting the birth of not one, not two, but three babies about to give birth to triplets 
when my father killed himself? How do I make meaning out of that? Well, as time passed, I wrote a book, but I didn't say goodbye, helping families after a suicide. I got involved with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention on the New Jersey chapter. I became a thanatologist. I worked for hospice. I never would have done all the things that I'm doing. You know, as a national keynote speaker, would I be talking about all this if my dad didn't kill himself? We make meaning out of tragedy in life. That That's just what we do. Mm-hmm. And I'll share something with you. It was the week of September 11th. I'm coming home. I was teaching. I was an adjunct professor at Brooklyn College at night teaching crisis intervention, a master's level class during the week of September 11th. How do you teach crisis in a New York City school, Brooklyn College, during the worst crisis of all time? During the day, I was working as a hospice bereavement coordinator, holding the hands of terminally ill patients and watching them die, being present for that, being with the families, and also facilitating several different support groups that month, not just that week. It was a suicide group, an Alzheimer's group, a generalized bereavement group. It was during the ride home from Brooklyn College to New Jersey. I was on 440. And there were these trucks going by that week of all this big, you know, we didn't, we didn't even know what it was, just the debris and probably bodies from the wreckage of, of the towers. Mm-hmm. And it was during my ride home after three or four days, or maybe even a week later, I don't remember the exact timing, but I said, I can't hear one more story. Everybody's dying. Everybody's grieving. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm done. And at that moment, I realized I needed to change the trajectory of my career, no longer work Mm -hmm. in bereavement. I needed to see, am I the only one who's burned out? Am I the only one who's experiencing compassion fatigue, empathic distress, vicarious trauma? Wow, I was experiencing it all. And that's when I became a keynote speaker, Mm. only for professionals, nurses and social workers and child protective services, judges and educators. Because if if they don't want to do the work anymore because they're burned out, yeah. who's going to take care of us? You know, who's going to take care of our kids? And so that's what brought me to my wow. field. And I do really well. I do virtual trainings and keynotes all over the country. I'm booked till the end of next year. It's amazing. But wow. why? Yeah, no, it's amazing. But it's not because I'm such a great keynoter. It's because I'm talking about suicide and homicide and car crash and, and drug overdose and dying children and trauma. We need to be trauma informed. We need to be bereavement informed and vicarious trauma informed. And I'm in every lane. So that's why I'm doing so well. And it, 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 it's, I feel like sometimes an ambulance chaser you know, it's like, God, I'm doing so well because there's such trauma in the world. All the organizations I go to are trauma-informed. You know, I did something a few weeks ago for Child Protective Services. And, and a week before that, it was sexual assault and domestic violence. And a week before that, it was suicide, homicide, car crash, death. What do we do now? And uh, this is a frightening world. Mm-hmm. And we are trying our best to raise our kids in a world that's filled with loss. So we need Mm -hmm. to be comfortable Mm -hmm. talking about trauma, talking about grief, and listening to programs that you offer, bringing in professionals who can perhaps give some insight. And not everything 
that we say is going to resonate, but there might be one thing like find meaning in what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, Barbara's father killed himself before becoming you know, a grandpa and she made meaning by doing this, that or the other thing. How are you making meaning out of your tragedies? We all have laws. We, you know, mm-hmm. from years ago, we all have our story, our lost narrative. Mm-hmm. What are you doing with mm-hmm. it? Right. And you could even share that with your child and you can say, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, these, these, ch- these children uh, died uh, very suddenly. And that never happened to me before because when my mommy died, um, it was cancer and it was, you know, it took a, it took a while and I, I was present and I had this anticipatory grief or however you say it, but bring your own story into it and how you coped, how you managed, give them tools, give them strategies based on, like we talked before, your faith, your belief system, your culture, your ethnicity, your own mm-hmm. strengths, and then look at your child. You know your child better than anyone what is their greatest strength mm-hmm. and depend on that strength to get them through this horrific time in their lives. Wow. Wow. Gosh, you said so much there. Um, well, I'm hoping right now that you were a good <laughs> listener and you repeat it <laughs> word for word. Okay. So what I heard you say is, well, first of all, thank no you pressure. for sharing. Yeah. No so pressure. Thank you for sharing your own pain. And I didn't know that about you. You've never shared that with me before. Mm. And um, I can only imagine what a, what a hard um, time that was, but I also, and I also see how that has transformed your life and how many people like the ripple effect is all of these people you've helped. And I think that you know, I can see, you know, in that September 11 time, you know, people also want to share their story of what happened to them as sort of a catharsis, right. As a way mm-hmm. to relieve it. And, and I saw this actually when, um, when I was in a town called Fort McMurray and uh, that's in Canada here where I live. And uh, there had been a, a fire that wiped out most of this community. And, uh, and so when I, when I went there, I went there for work and the work that I was doing before I did this, everybody wanted to tell their story. Everybody wanted to tell. And, and I can imagine how you would get so burnt out after a while, because if you are, you know, you also said empath, um, I forget how you said it, uh, like empathetic, empathetic and compassionate, like burnout or sort of like empath. Yeah. Like empathic distress. Yes. That's, that's the word. Yes. Mm -hmm. Distress. Because I know that I am, I can feel other people's feelings. And I think that's why I can do empathy is because I really can feel it. Plus I've been through a lot of stuff too. So I can really put myself in your shoes and I can only imagine how that would start to wear you down. Um, So, so also it is very true. We do make we, we actually do make changes in our lives and in this world when we have extreme pain, you know, that's the whole reason I do this job is because I suffered and struggled so much as a mom and I was able to get help. And the help was so transformative for me that I do this now. So it's true. So we make sense of it by taking action in a way. But going back to what you just said, you're struggling, you were struggling as a mom with your son who checks to make sure the he knows what the exit signs are. That's my other son. Yeah. My, but isn't my, that the smartest boy on the planet? <laughs> Shouldn't we all be doing that? 
you know, that's not a rational behavior at all. I think we should all learn from that. Have a safety plan. Teach your kids where we're going to meet. Look to see where the exit is. Very smart child. I mean, I, I just learned from when you shared that before. I'm like, what an insightful, brilliant child. And I'm going to do that. Well, and in fact, Gary Questenberry, who I have on my, I've had on my show twice, uh, who, who's written two books, Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Kids and Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Teens. He says, first and foremost, situational awareness is everything, right? And so that's really what my son instinctually is doing. Mm. So um, it is really key. And, the, the, it, and it's not that you're looking for danger, you're looking for something that doesn't fit that's when you know something's wrong. So I love that about. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really smart. Yeah. 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 So, um, so thank you for, for sharing all of this. I mean, really, I think that to recognize this is hard and it's sad and it is a tragedy is okay to recognize it. And that we do live in a world so how do we, I guess, I guess what I'm looking for is, and I'm struggling to find it, is a way to sort of tie this up, you know? So yes, it's sad. Yes, it's hard. And we just learn to move on. Like, what, Yeah, what but we that? have to learn to move yeah. on by being connected. By being connected. As a suicidologist, okay. I, I focus in on postvention, what to do after a suicide. That's one of my okay. specialties. And what all of the research shows is that we need to be connected. Mm. We need a good friend. We need a support group. We need a clergy. We need a neighbor. We need someone, someone. You know, there are times when people come out of the emergency room and they were suicidal and they're sent home. But when that nurse calls the next day, Mm. they're living another day because someone cared. We Mm. all need to know that we're connected that Mm -hmm. people care, and that we are not alone. I think that's one of the most important things. And if you do live alone, let's say you're listening to this program, your children are older, and you just like Robin McManion, and just want to watch her, um, then then reach out to an old friend, reach out to your grandchild, reach out to a neighbor, Mm -hmm. Uh, go to Starbucks, Starbucks, and or whatever coffee house you have and, and and strike up a conversation. Mm. No one is alone in this. No one. Wow. That's really beautiful. So connection is everything. I mean, I believe it. I believe it. That's why my company is called Parenting for Connection. I mean, it is everything. It really, really is. And we, like Brene Brown says, we are wired for connection. Yeah. Right? I love her. Yes. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Oh my goodness. Well, I, I feel better having talked to you. I have to say, I, I think that we need to hear that it's that we have permission to feel okay, that we can laugh and we can enjoy life even in the face of this. And two things can be true. We can be sad and we can watch a funny movie to, to say it so plainly. Um, yeah. And so if you're struggling, it's to reach out reach out to someone, ask for help, find a way to connect with someone. Even online, it could be virtual. Yeah. There are plenty of groups online. Mm. You're not alone. And if you have a child and you want more information, reach out to the Dougie Center, you know, mm. online. Dougie Center is, is right there for parents of, and, and children and look for support in your local community. Mm. Uh, I'm a member of ADEC, the Association for Death Education and Counseling. So if you want to learn more about about grief and loss, 
uh, go to your local library and get mm. some books out on helping kids who are grieving. And, 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 and don't forget that you need to be kind to yourself. That mm. you might not have said the right thing. Show yourself self-compassion and oh. get over it. Move on and give your kid a hug. Mm. Oh, get better so than true. Self-compassion is everything. And what I love about self-compassion is it says that, that what we experience is a shared human experience. It is not just us. We are not alone. And you've said that so many times and it's just worth repeating. So I love and that. And that we're human, Robin, that we are human. Yeah. I can't tell you during my keynotes, I could have 800 people in the room and I will say, don't forget that we are human. How many humans are in the room? Raise your hand. And maybe six or seven people decide to raise their hand. I'm like, wow, there's about 700 of you that are not human. Yeah. So yeah. we need a good giggle. We need yes. a good laugh. Yes. We need a good hug. Mm. And we need to know we're not alone. There are shows like this. Go online, look at other podcast hosts and other radio programs mm. and watch a comedy on TV and shut mm. the news off. Yeah. Watch a little bit of know. it, but don't have it on all day. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I do want to say, I do have some steps on how to talk to your kids in a video that I just released uh, on my YouTube channel, Parenting for Connection. So there's resources there as well. And I'll put some of the resources that, um, that Barbara just mentioned uh, in the show notes for you as well, because resources are important and I want to make sure you have them. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for the work you're doing. And I know everybody loves you as much as I do. So oh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.